Cut into the grove. Swinging in from the staircase. We're almost busting my butt. It's Jim. And this is Captain Brunch. It is Saturday, December 16th. Saturday Night Lit coming you from the storage closet of Bitcoin Grove. The live item tag is shining and we are back. Back in the saddle. Yeah, catch What's going us, on, Brunch? Catch us on our 24-hour live stream or on a modern podcast app. I am just in from the Bitcoin Grove holiday dinner. Cool. And it was a bit of a, a last... Yeah, you're just jumping right into it, huh? Oh, that's for sure. All right. I mean, that's, 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 that's what's on my mind, right? Because um, I napped for a lot of the day, and then I got up and went to the Broward County Bitcoiners meetup, and then, which is all the way in Davie, which is like, you know, f- west is far west. So, and north, plenty north and west. So I raced over here. I set up like some of the stuff for us. And then I went to dinner. Uh, the rest of the Bitcoin Grove crew who attended, because not everyone attended, um, they, uh, it was very last minute, right? So they're still at dinner, I think. And I was trying to understand like why, why there was like this insistence or this urgency to like have the dinner tonight. And, and the reason is because, and despite, you know, all the, all the Bitcoin Grove members are very special in my heart, but, uh, aside from the Bitcoin Grove members in attendance, there was a special guest. And I think that was the reason why we had to do <laughs> the dinner tonight. So, um, I'm definitely happy to have m- met the special guest and to have been able to sit with them. And you talk got me on the edge of my seat here. Who is this special you can just guest? Fall over for all I care. Cause I'm Jeez. not going to mention it. It's, oh my uh, God. I'm going to respect their privacy. Chatham house rules. A name <laughs> drop without the name. That's exactly. the worst. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but we but, had this really, really, uh, a special person here. Yeah, legendary, legendary, uh, Bitcoiner. Oh, man. <laughs> Maybe legendary is the wrong word to use, but, um, and then because we did have the Bitcoin Grove crew at dinner, uh, one of them members is Liron. And so, you know, for those of us who have been listening, for those who have been listening to us regularly, you will recall that Liron, uh, was supposed to come on the show several months back, but because I was asleep, <laughs> oh, this is a great conclusion. Yes. Because I was asleep when he came, uh, we did not do the show. Uh, he, he did not have my mother wake me up. God bless his soul. Uh, but he came to dinner tonight. So I'm like, well, Iran, you're already here. Uh, we were having dinner right next door to where Bitcoin Grove is. So I'm like, you're going to come on the show. And he's like, well, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. So we expect him to waltz in uh, at some point in the near future. But we're just going to carry on the show as usual in the meantime. Well, you were north and west. I was north and east. Well, it's just north then. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> where, where did they? So where were you? I was at an anime convention, Otaku Fest. But it was interesting because it was like kind of like a one day thing they did. Like, oh, let's just have a little fest. I really don't think they expected a lot of people. Uh-huh. They even priced it super low, like ten dollars to oh get it. Oh my in. gosh! Super freaking low. Was but it like standing room only kind of situation? It sold out, and then they had to ask like the city to like get more people in the venue. So then they could sell more tickets and long as freaking line. It was pouring when we got there, pouring. I, don't, I haven't owned an umbrella in like 10 years. <laughs> Literally turned around, went to DJ Maxx, bought umbrellas, <laughs> came back. Oh, man. It was a lot of fun, though. A lot of cool. I mean, half the fun about cons, honestly, is the, um, is the cosplay. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, either they're really professional, they get into it, and you see these really, really cool pieces. 
Or you see people who are more amateur, but really creative. Like, oh shit, how did you think of that? That's yeah, really like cool. You can just tell that they put a lot of thought into it. Yeah. And then my favorite mind to work. And then my favorite is finding the people, you know, like there's real, real, real common ones, but the ones that are very obscure, like, Oh, I know that character. Cool. (laughs) So it tickles the, the nerd bone in me. It's always fun. So did you take a lot of pictures? Like I asked you to, I did take pictures, but it's just a podcast and I can't share pictures yet. Well, you can't. Well, yeah, we, I mean, you could, you could put them in the chapter notes. Okay. You know, we can always do that in the future. I mean, that's one of the great things about podcasting 2.0 is that any changes we make to a podcast episode, we simply make those changes and then re-release the the feed. Also, if you're listening to a modern podcast app, you could see these pictures on the podcast app right now. Somewhere in the future. Somewhere in the future. Yeah, somewhere in the future on a modern podcast app. I don't know if you know Pyramid Head. Yeah, of course, Pyramid Head. I know them from uh, Silent Hill. Mm, Really cool. Yeah. Uh, the scream guys, they were funny. And there was one, there's one of the the two of them is like kind of a regular mask, but one of them has got like this kind of funny, like stoned (laughs) look on his face. Like scary movies. Oh, like scary. (laughs) I forgot that it's been a while since I've seen any of the scary movies. And then this is a Santa. Oh, Santa Mike Myers. Mike Myers, not Jason. Yeah. Um, but he was funny because he, he had like a a kitchen knife wrapped up as a present. (laughs) Oh, like. Oh, so, so it, like it was in the shape of a kitchen knife. Like you could tell oh. it was a, it was a knife, it was a but, knife. It, but it had, <laughs> it was um, wrapped up. It was, oh, it did have a bow on it. Yes, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and I mean, you probably won't recognize this character just for just for one piece fans, but her costume is so elaborate, so detailed. Yeah. Like, I don't wow. recognize it. I don't like, I've only seen the live action and I don't think they got that far in the yeah, series no, yet. Yeah, not at all. Uh, is this a comic book character? Um, oh yeah, this is, um, uh, dead eye, isn't it? Dead eye, From yeah. DC, you know, like the, the DC, um, like teen Titans, Titans universe. Okay. I did not recognize them, but I thought it was really cool. And then this crazy. Oh, I feel like this is so familiar to me. This is like a. Something had a Diablo or something. Maybe, but it's, uh, what kind of animal is that? Brunch is looking at this giant, um, what is it? Like a goat, like a goat skull with these giant horns dressed up in this, like necromancer outfit okay i'm gonna have to run real quick to open the door for the run <laughs> what already yeah okay, i know cool. that's good though so i'll be right back i'll be right back uh alert the affiliates alert the affiliates also tell you about this ken this guy was dressed up as a ken doll and he had the box all around him and everything it was pretty funny let me put on some music while we wait for our guest here we go
All right, we are back. We are running with scissors. Yes. Oh, <laughs> there we go. Music on. Oh, cool. wow, we're so loud now. What happened? You turned us all up, or what's going on here? No, your thing's probably just louder. It's the same exact thing. Wow. Okay, well, welcome to the show, Liron. Hey, hey, good to be here. Let's uh, get this nice and close to all you. All right. So, uh, you know, we were supposed to have you on a long time ago, and, you know, it is what it is, <laughs> it is, what it is and I'm glad we could finally get you on the show. Why don't you do a little quick, uh, you know, intro? Like, what's what's who, how do you want the the internet to know about Liron? Oh wow, that's a <laughs> that's a loaded uh, question, man. So my name's Liron. I'm a software engineer, uh, hacker. Uh, been into Bitcoin for a really, really long time, and uh, really just yeah, into into decentralized and open source tech. Uh, it's I want to say it's shaped a lot of just my life. So uh, yeah, I'm very passionate about it. Oh, that makes good sense. And I'm glad that you're here. Uh, you just came back from the dinner. I was talking about it a few minutes ago and I didn't get to, to try what you guys tried. What was it you guys ordered? So we had like a, they called it the cowboy steak. It was just pretty much a, it was a smaller um, tomahawk, I guess, type of thing. So just delicious steak. And then we had some like beef cheek and uh, what else was there? I don't know. There was some pork belly stuff. I don't know. It was all, it was all <laughs> delicious. Damn. Sounds good. Really good. It was at Gaucho Ranch. That's next door. Yeah, I finally yeah, got yeah. to try it out. Yeah, yeah, it was a the holiday party. Did the cowboy steak have an egg on top of it? No. Okay. No, it was just, it was like a smaller version of like what a tomahawk would be, and it was just cut up. So you had the, like the, the bone and everything there, but it was just it was good good meat, good delicious steak. Cool. So you're one of the uh, founding members of Bitcoin Grove, as I also am, and I wear that badge with some level of pride. What have you been working on lately? I haven't seen you too much. Seems like you've been uh, preoccupied. Yeah, so I've been, uh, you know, really, really busy working. Um, I've uh, taken a position with uh, Block, with TBD specifically. So we're working on... Wait, um, wait, wait, wait. What is that? Because some people might not have any idea. So, so Block is uh, the company behind Cash App and Square. Um, and they have a subsidiary called TBD that um, is focused around uh, a white paper that Jack Dorsey uh, put out a few years back called TBDEX. Um, so basically the focus is a decentralized sort of, um, exchange protocol. Uh, they're renaming it to something that's more along the lines <laughs> of like a payment protocol, but, um, yeah, effectively that's kind of what TBD, uh, the subsidiary is working on. So it's a lot of open source stuff. Everything's open source. Everything is standards based, uh, things. I'm more specifically working on, uh, their web five offerings. I, I, personally don't love the name. I, I like <laughs> the meme. Five. I like the memeability of it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I work on, on a specific piece of software called decentralized web nodes, which are uh, a part of this whole web five thing, which allow you to pretty much take your data with you and as a user kind of own it. And uh, yeah, uh, that's so yeah, that's, that's the pillar part of the pillar that I'm working on over there. So let's tackle it a little bit from very pie in the sky. What is the, like the big, picture idea about what, you know, like that white paper that Jack, you know, promulgated and then this project, like this decentralized data project, like, what is it? What's it about? What are you trying to address? What problem are you trying to solve? So I think there's, there's different problems here. So like TBDEX tries to solve a specific problem and then, you know, web five kind of, uh, is trying to solve a different problem, but they play kind of similar roles to each other. So I guess we'll start with TBDEX first. Um, TBDEX is looking to solve the problem of, you know, you're exchanging this digital, you know, asset Bitcoin, 
uh, for something, whether it may be just for USD fiat, you know, back and forth, or it could be even for, for physical good. Um, but either way, you're, when you're doing this type of uh, interaction, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty standard interaction, specifically when you're talking about buying, let's say, like, you know, the on and off ramps. You're saying, I would like to buy Bitcoin for this amount, or, you know, the seller would say, I'm selling Bitcoin for this amount of fiat. And specifically, one of the things that TBDEX tries to focus on is, uh, you know, when we buy, unfortunately, uh, whether we like it or not, when we buy Bitcoin, there's some form of KYC that happens, right? With all these exchanges, each one of them have their own regulations and their own level of KYC that they're comfortable with in order to fulfill those regulation needs. Um, so uh, the TBDEX is trying to take that and standardize it in a way where we have this technology called verifiable credentials. Um, so one entity can cryptographically kind of sign something that says another entity is XYZ. So you can have like, you know, your, your regular ID, right, can be issued as a verifiable credential. And that's actually something that's happening in a bunch of states right now. So they're all going with these like open standards for issuing these things and being able to verify them. So a third party can take this credential and say, oh, yep, I know that this is a, you know, ver you know, this is a credential issued by the Florida Department of, you know, Highway Safety Motor Vehicles or whatever. Um, so that uh, TBDX is trying to create a system where you as like, you know, you want to buy Bitcoin or you want to sell Bitcoin, you can go on this system and you can kind of look for different financial institutions that are trying to be the opposite side of whatever it is uh, that you're trying to do there. And they tell you what kind of credentials they need and you're able to present those credentials. And the hope is that um, they'll be able to collect kind of the minimal amount of information they really need. So for example, um, a credential could just literally say you're not a sanctioned individual. So it has no other personal identifying information about you. It just says this identifier, this person that's, that's identified by this decentralized identifier is not a sanctioned individual. And so we can make a, a transaction with them. So t uh, trying to put that another way to make sure that everyone understands and that I understand, like rather than just say, okay, so the metric is that this is a valid ID, right? So like, I don't necessarily know anything else about it, but I know it's valid. And then the only other information I have is that this valid ID is not sanctioned. Right. Because I mean, the, the ID still has to meet some kind of like standardization process for it to even be considered an ID. Right. So there's so when I say um, so there's an, another kind of a term that we use in this uh, in the, the community is called a decentralized identifier DID. Um, so this is basically just a cryptographic public key. You can just think of it that way. Right. That identifies you um, and you're able to sign things and say this is me uh, and things can be signed to you and say, you know, this is the person that I'm attesting something for. So that's what these credentials try to do. And some of them, um, what, what we're really trying to hope for is uh, you have a, a form of like zero knowledge proofs within these credentials so that you can, you know, uh, the issuing body can issue a bunch of stuff that's, that's about you. But let's say the person that you're buying something from or a bar that you're trying to visit, let's just say like right in these uh, ID things, does the bar, does the person, uh, you know, trying to let you go into the bar need to know your exact address they just and need like to your know exact you're more than 21. No. Yeah. They just need to know you're more than 21. You're a resident of the state. Maybe those are like the two things that they care about. So they can, you know, cryptographically kind of attest to those things without knowing the information. So I think, you know, that that's a really big piece of this whole, uh, you know, decentralized identity, SSI, uh, self sovereign identity, <laughs> uh, movement that's been happening for a, a long time. 
Um, so TBD, TBDX is saying, okay, we do the same things when we exchange with bank, right? Any kind of banking information. Um, some of these banks don't want to actually have your personal data. They, in order for them to store it, they have to you know, go with all these regulations yeah. and it has to be separated here and separated there and anonymized here and anonymized there. They don't want to if they don't have to. It's just that they're like, okay, well, I have to if I want to do these things. So we're trying to make it so that it's easy. So it's like, okay, they only need to store you know, a, a, just a proof of something very simple and everything else they don't really need to worry about. And... That's true for, for, for exchanging Bitcoin, right? So uh, one of the big targets for TBDEX um, in you know, the near future is doing remittances. So today, in, uh, when you, you know, try to transfer money from one country in Africa to another, you can't really transact between them directly. You're always going through London or New York or something like that. You're always going through an intermediary just because there's no liquidity. Like no one wants, you know, they don't, they don't have any direct pairs between those two currency pairs. Uh, that has high liquidity. So it always goes to dollar or euro or, or something like that. Um, that's where Bitcoin comes in. Well, Bitcoin has liquidity in pretty much every, you know, currency care, uh, currency pair that you can imagine. So what if, you know, that is kind of uh, the way that it's done. Um, so that opens a huge door because you can have all these different financial institutions that all offer kind of the same thing. And you have this like open playing field where the user can choose which financial institutions they want to transact with based on rate, based on the type of KYC, maybe one trans institutions like, no, no, I need your whole, you know, I need, I need your, your medical history mm -hmm. just to, to transact with you. And that's what they want. Um, and maybe they provide you a lower rate. I don't know. Who knows? Like maybe that's part of their business model. Yeah. Um, and then there's another institution that's like, nope, I just need to know that you're a not sanctioned individual. So just show me that credential and I'm able to, to transact with you. So that it kind of opens it up um, in that way. And it also, the, the real key I think here is that it allows different jurisdictions to kind of interact with each other without like pre-existing agreements. It's just like, well, I know I need these credentials and I know you need these credentials. And if we have them, we can transact. We don't need to continuously kind of try to come up with these agreements and things like that. Right. So it's trying to standardize those things. So that's, that's TB decks, right? Yeah. Then there's web five, right? Yeah. And then there's web five. Uh, so web five is basically just looking at, you know, it's the name is kind of a joke, right? <laughs> People talk about web one and web two. Well, it's clearly, it was a reaction to web three, yes. right? It was like, okay, well, if you guys are web three, then Bitcoin is really web five and grow up people. Well, yeah. Like, cause web three was like, okay, we have this, we know that web two is broken where, um, you know, web two, I also hate that, but well, it's not broken, but it's just that there's a, dis there's, there's, Patterns, there are dark patterns, right? Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've pretty much said, okay, Facebook or, you know, is, is meta is our, our social kind of identity holder. They're the ones, you know, I have to go through their app. Or Google, I, right? Like signing yeah. with Facebook, signing yeah. with Google. Google's our email, you know, everything is, is signing with Google. You know, it, they, they hold, these centralized companies hold all of uh, the data, all of the control. Um, yeah, they can, you know, I mean, we saw with Trump and with all these things, you know, they just turn you off and that's it. Like you don't have a voice anymore. Yeah. And there, there are many aspects. So what makes TV decks different? So TV decks is, is more of the financial stuff. Web five specifically, which TV decks is built on some of the components of web five. Um, web five is trying to say, okay, well we have these 
various concepts that exist. So we have this concept of decentralized identifier, which you can, you know, create your own identifier that identifies you. That's not an email address. It's not a pretty identifier. It's not going to have like your name. <laughs> well, in it. it's, it's public private key cryptography, yeah. right? So but before you go too deep into that, because I mean, you, you're going too far down the rabbit hole chimp. Let me, <laughs> let me just keep it where, where we are. So because a part of the issue with, with the web too, is that not only are you relying on this username and password that, that this organization has control of. So on the one hand, they could cut you off, which is a huge problem. On the other hand, we have a problem of impersonation and fake accounts. Um, so we've talked about this on the show recently. There were two, two people in the last year who have been scammed, like more or less, you know, connected to Bitcoin brunch by people pretending to be someone else. And one of them was someone who pretended to be me and they were able to trick someone into like giving them money. It was all really sad. And so this is another aspect of it is, is the way that we do identity now is n it, it's actually easy to trick other people it, depending on the circumstances. And then the final thing I wanted to say before I let you respond later on, because I'm, I'm packing a lot in there. The final thing is that then if they really, really wanted to, these central planners, they could manipulate your identity and then they could make your account say things that you didn't actually want to say. So this is some of the, I think, the important dark problems that I think web, the Web5 is trying to, to address. So go ahead. Yeah, so I think you made some really good points. I actually want to want to talk about one of them that you made about how these administrators can just kind of have you say whatever you want to say. So this actually happened with Reddit. So during the whole, you know, I don't know, Trump, uh, you know, derangement, whatever that was Syndrome. going on in, <laughs> in the country. Um, there was a subreddit and I, I don't remember the exact subreddit, but it was like a pro Trump subreddit that was very, very, that was getting, you know, very popular. And the CEO and, and, and owner or co-founder of Reddit actually went into the database and changed comments that were like negatively talking about him on, on various forums <laughs> to, to negatively talk about the, the forum moderators of the, the, the Trump, whatever. Oh, uh, wow. So he like went in there and just, it went into the database and just changed these things oh, in geez. order to like pretty much harass these, these, you know, moderators of the sub. So it's like, it's first of all, that's insane to me. Like you are the CEO, like forget, <laughs> forget everything. You are the CEO of and one of the biggest like network. <laughs> that's how much you care. Like, like really? <laughs> holy crap. Like what is wrong with you mentally? First and foremost, like <laughs> besides the technology part of it, there was like, okay, we have a problem with technology. It's like, what kind of crap needs to be going through your head? For you to do that, like and that's how boring wild. is your life that you that's have the time wild. to be focusing on that. And you're not just like a normal. You are the CEO <laughs> and co-founder of one of the biggest internet companies. Like I don't, they they probably don't make enough money. Like maybe not financially, <laughs> but as far as like they make too much. Just yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> but as far as like just the traffic of the internet going through your like you that it doesn't make you at least feel like you have some sort of sense of responsibility somewhere like to not act like a child yeah, that's, illegal a, that's too, exactly right? why yeah. they did it because there's that whole thing about They're this probably felt righteous there's like the section 240 or something or the whatever that protects these platforms that okay they, they are allowed to remove things that violate copyrights and laws but they are not allowed to 
manipulate them. That's like the rule. That's what protects them from being responsible for what's posted. So if they are going into the post and editing them, then they must absolutely be responsible. Yeah. It, it, whatever. Which I'm such a mess. So, <laughs> so yeah. So like perfect example of, of why things are broken and right. And like the most outlandish scenario that you can give someone actually happened. Right. Cause I used to talk to people about <laughs> this and they used to think I'm crazy. They're like, Oh, but no, no, it's okay. It's fine. So what if Facebook has it? So what? Like they just don't imagine that things like this can happen. I'm, I, it's sad to say, but I'm happy it happened. And I'm happy that it's, it was caught because people can at least understand that. Yes. Like even though you, you have, you know, these big companies and we trust them with so much, there are just still people there. And you know, if you give them access to it, they're going to do the things that just people do. It's not, you know, these people aren't, you know, magical, different people. They're just people like all these people at these companies are just regular people. That's really it. So, so the web five, obviously like, so talk about how the web five addresses this. And then I think by addressing this web five clearly opens things up to a lot more possibilities, but maybe that's the way we can segue into it. So there's three major components to web five. So I've already talked a little bit about these, this concept of decentralized identifiers. This is the way that you can identify yourself, um, without a central party, uh, you know, cryptographically. There's different, quote, quote unquote, what we call DID methods um, that are out there. There's one that's backed by Bitcoin called ION. Um, there's what do you a, mean backed by Bitcoin? So it's using Bitcoin as a uh, anchoring system to say that this identity operation happened before this one, right? So I created my identity. That's an operation. I add a new public key to it. I remove a public key. I add it, what we call service endpoints, which are effectively URLs to this, you know, did, uh, did document that holds, you know, the information about my ID. So I can make changes to this um, document. Um, so one of the systems in order to keep track of these changes and see, you know, in a decentralized way, what is the latest state of this identifier, uh, uses Bitcoin to kind of keep track of is it like uh, Bitcoin timestamps or like similar. Uh, what it does is it actually uses, so it uses Bitcoin. It also uses IPFS, uh, internet, uh, interplanetary file system. Um, not to be confused with Filecoin. Filecoin uses <laughs> yeah, that. That's a shit coin. Um, IPFS is just more of general purpose, like kind of torrent IPFS came before Filecoin. Uh, yeah. So it uses that, uh, it uses IPFS as the, the, where the data is actually stored for all these identity operations, right? Like creating an identity, updating an identity, deactivating an identity. These are the, the, the main operations that you have. Um, so it's using IPFS to store the data behind that. And then it's taking the IPFS, you know, address hash effectively, and it's anchoring it to Bitcoin. So you can crawl the Bitcoin blockchain and you can look for these op returns that have like, you know, op return ion colon. And then um, I think it has like the number of operations and then the hash of the IPFS file that you can find these operations at. So you can take, you can pretty much crawl the blockchain and independently uh, come to the same conclusion of all the identities that have been, you know, kind of published to the system. So um, that's one method of, of DIDs. It's obviously pretty cumbersome because you have to use the blockchain. And you <laughs> yeah. have to, you know, there's there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, there's also something that's the complete kind of opposite <laughs> side of things, which I would argue isn't even really decentralized, right? It's still called a DID, but it's called, you know, did web. So it effectively just uses regular DNS web in order to, um, you know, define your identity. So you put uh, some information into a JSON file and that's how it resolves it. It says, okay, uh, did 
a web uh, ABC.com is so and so and this is their document right okay so there's there's different spectrums and then could could you run like both of them at the same time on the same DID no so each DID is separate so that's kind of how you address it so you address it, it, it the way that you address it the standard addresses starts you know DID colon and then the method so ion is one of them um, you know uh, yeah so ion is, is a big one there's um, another one for example so there's did key which is literally just did colon key colon and then just the uh, compressed version of that public key. And that's it. So the did document in that and did key doesn't really have any other information. It just has a singular key. Whereas in did ion, it's did colon ion colon. And then it kind of hash uh, that that uh, can point to multiple keys, right? So with did ion, you don't just have one main key. You can have you know uh, various different keys attached to your did document, and then you can also rotate those keys. So you don't you can you know change your key each time you make updates and things like that. That's uh, did ion. There's also actually a new did method that we're working on at TBD called uh, did DHT. So this is using the bit um, the uh, like BitTorrent DHT, which is called the mainline THT to add, or DHT to um, oh, what is DHT? It's a uh, <laughs> distributed hash table. So okay. it's a way to kind of address uh, um, hashes effectively like in a distributed. Is way. it like a random number table? Like what is it distributed <laughs> hash table? I know, you know, you run, you came on. It kind of says, so it's like I let's say I, I have a hash, and I can. So there's different methods of doing this. Uh, the most popular one is called I, I don't know how it's pronounced exactly Kadimlia, uh, <laughs> but it's the one that that BitTorrent mainline use. Um, so what it does is something along the lines of okay, so I have a hash, and I try to uh, see how close you know through like because a hash really represents a number. Um, so how close it is to another hash. And I find a hash that is the closest to it. And then I ask that peer because a peer can be identified by just a hash. I'm like, hey, do you have the data that's tied to this hash? Because you're the closest one that I know to it. And then that kind of repeats and repeats what, and repeats until it finds. What do you mean by close? Because this is like, because. Like numerically. So a hash represents like a number. So let's say my hash represents 100 and your hash represents 200. And yeah. then there's one between that that represents 150. So 150 is closer. So this is like a particular hashing methodology that will produce like some sort of like ordinal system. Well, I mean like all not, I don't want to say all hash, but uh, like this particular, what I'm saying, like this particular hashing method, the DHT. Well, no, the DHT is just a way to, to kind of distribute this. So it's a distributed hash table. So you have in computer science, you have the idea of a hash table. So you can organize data in a way to where you can like find it by a hash, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I know I'm looking for this hash, I look it up in a table and I'm like, okay, this is the value of the hash. I now have it. Um, so that's how you do it in a centralized way. The DHT takes that and decentralizes it, distributes it more correctly uh, amongst a bunch of peers. And then instead of you just going to a central table to look for something with this you hash. You just go to the, the nearest hash. Yeah, you go to the, like a peer that you know that is close to, quote unquote, close to that hash <laughs> numerically. And you're like, hey, you're kind of close to this. Do you have this? And that peer is like, well, no, but let me ask my peers. And it kind of continues uh, to do that until so it gets like, to the data. That's like the, the gossip network bit, for this. Uh, kind, kind of. It, I mean, it's not really gossip, but kind of. Um, and that's how BitTorrent works, right? So mm -hmm. this is how BitTorrent advertises like magnet links and like I have data available. That's how it works. So it uses this DHT and specifically the one that BitTorrent uses is known as mainline DHT. So it's been around for what, 20 years now? I don't, I don't know. BitTorrent's been around for quite yes. a while. Uh, and it's, you know, 
you know, thousands of nodes or how, I, don't, I don't know how many nodes, a lot of nodes on the network. It's been alive for a very long time. So um, we, uh, a group at TBD have developed a did method that uses this instead of a blockchain in order to advertise. Uh, the downside that it has is that these uh, messages that you advertise on the DHT are only alive for about two hours. So you have to rebroadcast your identifying information or someone else can do that for you. Right. So we, we have some mechanisms that we're thinking like of. a directory. So you could, maybe you could put your DID into a directory and then that directory would rebroadcast. Exactly. It. <laughs> it. So we're calling them gateways because they do a little bit more, but yeah. And we're actually trying to, call to think of, um, of like a, almost like a reputation system where they're mm. locking up Bitcoin to kind of, show this is the URL to their directory and they're locking it up for a certain period of time. So you can still kind of crawl the, the blockchain and find these directories and then mm -hmm. kind of crawl and find more identities and things like that. All right. So I'm going to do free marketing for you guys. You're gonna, so you, you, you got the yellow pages, you've got the white pages. These could be the orange pages. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I like <laughs> the it. orange pages. I, you know, I'm just throwing it out there. So, so yeah. So web five has this concept of DID. So this is how you identify yourself. So yeah. I am DID. That's just whatever, one of whatever. the three parts you're saying, right? Yeah. So this is how people are able to identify themselves independently without a third party and be able to attest to any kind of information or data. Like I created this data, you know, things like that. Just like we do with Bitcoin when we spend, you know, we signed a transaction that says I signed that I'm releasing these coins to, to this person. Um, so that is what the DID is. Uh, so that's one of the pillars. The other pillars I've also mentioned briefly is verifiable credential. Um, it is a format for you to be able to uh, pretty much issue a credential or like a fact, I guess you could say, about you know, an, another entity. So one DID can issue a credential about another DID. Um, and then that credential can be independently verified without reaching back to any of those other DIDs. So uh, one of the things that's, you know, pretty common is let's say university degrees. All right. You went to university, you went to Harvard, let's say. Uh, Harvard issued you a degree. Um, Harvard's not very popular these days. Uh, Harvard issued you a degree. So instead of in today's world, like, you know, you go to apply for a job, like they, they have to kind of go and reach out back to Harvard to be like, Hey, did or take this your word person for it. or yeah, or take your word for it. Yeah. But it's this convoluted thing. Whereas with verifiable credentials, effectively, they're able to just look at this credential. They don't need to even phone back to Harvard. They just know, okay, this is Harvard's DID. Harvard's DID signed this to this individual's DID. And then like, so maybe they would know Harvard's DID from like the orange pages. Exactly. So we call like a these, signet ring. So the, the decentralized <laughs> identity foundation, which it incubates a lot of this stuff. It's like, uh, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, Linux foundation all mm -hmm. these things. Um, they have something called trust, uh, trust directories. Uh, so trust registries, sorry, trust registries. And that's kind of this idea of like, okay, um, well you have these DIDs, they're ugly looking. How do I know that? Like, Coca-Cola is this DID or whatever it is, right? So you have these trust registries and you can have different operators of trust registries and you can almost build almost like uh, this, like uh, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. And idea, they can all have right? their own standards, right? So like maybe my trust directory will be like, okay, well, someone came into my location and like, and, and took a picture and, and shook my hand. And so I, my DID is saying that this person's DID met this standard that we set at our trust reg registry. Exactly. And you're able to, to kind of give it's, it creates this web of trust, right? Where you can say, okay, well, I trust this trust registry. So when they tell me that this DID, I trust them with this degree. Maybe this other trust registry I trust less, but I can kind of query both of them and see what they have and, and, and make my own decision, uh, mm -hmm. you know, about that. 
So, so yeah, so you have this concept of you have uh, decentralized identifiers that can identify people, and then you have this standard that can issue credentials between them. So those are two really big, you know, important things. You can do, you know, log into to websites with this stuff. You can do the, the um, you know, uh, employment verification like we were talking about, things like that. The missing part here now is storage. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have these two <laughs> things. Where are we going to put it all? Up until pretty recently, yeah. It's like they've, most wallets or agents or whatever you want to call these, just stored them in proprietary ways. So, yeah, you got all your credentials issued to you in your one wallet, but that's kind of the wallet you're using. And maybe they gave you like some zip file export <laughs> of it to bring it to another wallet. Maybe you were lucky. Uh, maybe that wallet has an import feature if you were lucky, right? But there isn't a standard way. And that's where the, the third pillar comes in, which is our decentralized web nodes. So decentralized web nodes give you a standardized way to store your personal data. They're, they're known as like personal data stores. Uh, there's a few different types of personal data stores that aren't decentralized web nodes. Like uh, Tim Berners-Lee, uh, was working, who's the like father of the internet, uh, was working on something called Solid Pods. So those are pretty interesting, kind of similar, just slightly different trade-offs. Solid Pods give a lot of uh, power to the service operator. So let's say, you know, uh, some company like uh, I don't know, Google's running your 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 pods. Uh, they have a lot of control over your data more and your stuff like that. Uh, DWNs are trying to solve that by making it so that um, everything is a node. Like your phone is a node. Uh, actually, your web browser tab can technically be a node. Like our RSDK is a, you know, effectively a full node that just runs in the browser. Uh, so everything can be a node, and they synchronize with each other uh, to keep each other all up to date. And then you do have a highly available one that's in the cloud. That way, you know, my phone's not always on and connected to the internet. Or even if I, you know, you know, we all, a bunch of us run like Bitcoin nodes at our home and stuff like that. It's not highly available, right? Like, you know, some, some of us make it a little more highly available than others, but that's not the reality for like most people. So the idea is you'll run a node, you know, in the cloud with a service provider and that node will be where people go and reach out to, to um, write or read data from you. Uh, but that gets replicated to and from your other devices. Uh, so the way that this works, like from A to Z, I guess, is first, you know, I, let's say I have your DID. So I, I look up your DID and I get this DID document. Within that DID document, there's a part that uh, has your, your public keys effectively that say this public keys for encryption, this public keys for signing, different public keys that you can have in there. Uh, and then it'll have a part that says service endpoints. Uh, so service endpoints can be different types of endpoints. We are particularly looking for your decentralized web node, your DWN service endpoint that will be listed here. So I resolve your name, I get your DID, I get your document, I get this service endpoint, and then I can make requests to that service endpoint. So I can say that request could be, uh, give me Prem's uh, um, podcast that he listens to. You You publish a public list, let's say, that you're like, okay, anyone can query this public list of your podcast. So anyone can kind of look at your, your, D, your DID document, look for your decentralized web node and query for a, a specific schema type that is well known between, you know, between people and build apps off of that. Right. So that's, that's kind yeah. of uh or maybe like there. even a more um, novel like use case would be not just my podcast, but how about podcasts I've been on? Yeah, there <laughs> you go. You know, because that might be a little bit more difficult. It's like, okay, well, okay, I know Prem, uh, the Brunches, Captain Brunches podcast, but um, 
but I don't know like all the, the times he's been a guest somewhere. So let's say, so that's actually like a really cool thing to talk about. So let's say you as Prem, you know, you, you have your own DWN and you keep a bunch of your stuff and the podcasts that you are, uh, that you went on as a guest happen to also use DWNs and they publish a bunch of their stuff. So they're signing this thing that says, Hey, you know, this record, Prem's been on my show. Like this is the episode information. This is some stuff. And they're going to save it to their DWNs because that's where their guests go. And they can take that same record and send it to your DID. And if your DWN has permissions, you know, set up, it'll just get written to that. And then mm-hmm. it'll just be available for you to do whatever you want with. Or if you set it up in a way where it's, you know, public, other people can then now query your DWN and see that same record between them. So that's uh, with these building blocks, you know, we think you can build almost anything. Uh, the thing that we're really trying hard is to allow, uh, we have this, this aspect that's known as a protocol definitions within DWNs that allow you kind of to describe how this data kind of um, reacts in order so that, uh, you know, in Noster, for example, you have this problem where you have NIPs. So NIPs explain to you a lot about the data and how you should deal with it. Uh, but then every wallet needs to go like implement this behavior and say, okay, well, first I need to write this kind of event and then I need to publish that. And then using that event idea I can publish these other events and then people reading it first need to read this, this, this kind of event. And then based on that kind of event, they can query for <laughs> other events. So it's, you know, and, and our protocol definitions attempt to do the same thing, but they try to define it in a way where it's just installable on a standard like DWN and the app developer doesn't need to develop these rules. They just really say, okay, I know I'm dealing with a list of, of, you know, podcast things. So that's what I'm displaying, but who is allowed to write to this list? Um, you know, uh, these other types of rules, they don't have to recode and agree upon in this, uh, you know, kind of non-standard way. So you're able to define these things in a little more of a standard way. And we think that it'll allow for just more interoperability, right? Like, yeah. So you, you opened the door, you mentioned Noster. So let's go ahead and pivot. (laughs) I want to talk to you about Noster. Noster is very interesting. What do you, what do you, what have you been thinking lately? I I think Noster is definitely interesting. Um, Noster just, it doesn't solve all of the problems that I was particularly looking to solve. Um, it's very simple. It's very easy to get up and going. Um, it does enhance, I guess, a lot of the existing stuff we have, you know, some people will call it like RSS on steroids and things <laughs> like that. Some people wouldn't, but, <laughs> um, but it's not, it, it has some problems, right? Like, uh, you know, one of the problems is I, I don't think it's like sufficiently decentralized quote unquote, because you're relying on these relays. Um, and you really don't know what relay to go to and, and how to find relays. Like discovery is, is a really big issue. So right now most people are like, okay, we, we just go to these main set of relays that we know, but that sounds such a huge pretty problem. centralized to me. Right. It's such a huge problem. Um, I mean, like I think, the, the the sort of the, the rise of the monolithic relay has kind of been, I think it's actually a barrier. It's, it's going to, it's going to slow adoption. And I think inevitably most of these big relays are probably going to crash at some point because they're going to be more expensive than they're worth. Well, so they're going to have to start making money. Yeah. They're going to have to start. Charging. <laughs> so this is the biggest, this is the problem with Mastodon, right? So aside from the fact that Mastodon doesn't have 
uh, signatures, right? It's not really using signatures, it's using like it's emails accounts. and stuff like it's that. Accounts, just accounts. Right? Uh, but uh, let's forget about that, right? Because yeah. that's, that's an easy upgrade, let's say, to, to mm-hmm. add to Mastodon. The real issue with Mastodon is this idea that you go to these servers that federate and only a handful of them are really big and really have a big uh, following. And eventually they're going to want to monetize somehow. And what they're going to do is they're going to say, okay, my, you know, Mastodon instance, you want to federate with me, pay me a, a peering fee, right? Like pay me, let's do a peering agreement. We're both big Mastodon servers. Do a peering agreement so that our people can easily communicate with each other. I think the same thing is going to happen with relays, right? You're going to have, uh, and I, I don't know if right now, I think most relays do not um, sync with one another. I know some of them Most do. relays don't do almost anything. Um, <laughs> I know on. the Starfry uh, released some stuff where you can sync between relays, which I think is really interesting. But I think that when that does happen, you're just going to have these agreements and, and it's going to be these like little walled gardens, right? And yeah, I just don't think it's a silver bullet, but it's a great, to me, the great thing about Noster is seeing the, um, the excitement in, in, in wanting something different than what exists. Right. Yeah. And that, that whole magic, right. It, that, that I feel that people experienced of saying, okay, I, I build something and I can interact with it with 10 different apps. Right. Like I think that that is something that people didn't even realize they wanted so much until they got it in their hands, yeah. even if it's not a great experience today. And the thing is like, we have that, but then also we lose that because every time one of these, whether it's a client, which usually it's the clients, right? Whenever they start implementing all of these like features, then suddenly like those features are not in any of the other clients. Um, and so like one, I don't know what the situation is today, but I remember like some time ago, the issue was that some clients would show images, but other ones would not show images. Just as like a simple example. Right. And that reminds me of the thing that you were talking about standardization, right? I mean, this is one of the big issues with the way, uh, Fiat Jeff decided to like kind of release Noster out into the wild is he, he sort of lets everyone have their own way, but in a but that results in a lack of cohesion in many senses. Um, I had some notes from a long time ago that I wanted to bring up with you. And then, so we've already kind of touched upon this. So like the idea of there needing to be different relay types or relays having different functions. Um, so for instance, like transfer only in which a person in one relay pulls in a feed from another relay. Um, and so like one idea I had was maybe, um, let's say you were like a celebrity or something. So maybe you would be publishing to a particular relay that is read only. And so on that relay, like no one else can post to that relay, just the people who have these right functions, but everyone else is just consuming it. But maybe they want to have conversations about the content that's being published in this relay. So then there are these other relays that are kind of like literal gossip relays, where then the people are going to be gossiping about the content that they're this other relay that the celebrity relay published. And there's just so many different use cases. I don't think that we've really even started to explore that, you know, um, like I've mentioned before about the idea of there being a, a Bitcoin Grove relay where, you know, all the Bitcoin Grove members would have uh, write access, but then everyone else would only have read access. So if you're not a member, you can read what we're publishing, but you cannot comment or, or post to that relay. You could maybe take it, the content, post it to another relay, and then we could talk about it there. But no, this relay is just for us. Like, what do you think about that kind of stuff? Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. Um, and, and that's kind of the way that I was looking at Noster when I was messing with it the most. Uh, the, the only thing with that is, is I, I kept going back to this thing where it's like, you're almost making these custom relays at each step. And 
So then if two people kind of want to do the same thing, they have to make the same custom relay. They either have to use the same software or they have to just make sure their stuff works in the same rules and yeah. agree upon. So, it. I mean, I think ideally the, the same way that they're sort of exploring different um, post types, right? So like type one, type two, whatever. I don't really know too much of those details, but I know they have different types of notes. So they could also have different types of relays. And I think that over time, it's going to get defined as use cases and utility starts to demonstrate itself. Um, like for instance, I have very, very little interest in, in being in any relay that, that advertises you know, I don't want to do that. Um, I, I think I've mentioned before, like I generally don't like clients that you log into a client and it just shoves a global feed in your face from a relay that you didn't get to select. It's like, okay, we picked these five relays for you and we're going to shove all the content in your face. It's like, you know, I want a very controlled experience. Like I want to define how I interact with Nostr because to me, that's the potential of it is that Nostr, unlike all of these other ser centralized services, it's supposed to allow me to have control of the way I interact with it. And I don't think we've quite really explored that too much. I think there's a lot of like, especially with the, with the clients that have become popular, they're mostly popular because they have, they come with a, with a relay already. Um, so like Domus is the great example. Like they have this gigantic relay. Um, but then, you know, the relay, it, it doesn't make any money and it just costs them money and it's just full of content. I don't know. It's just, I think there's this kind of an incoherence that still exists and that it, because of the way it's developed, it's going to take a long time to maybe, you know, cause I understand what you're saying about, yeah, it would be very cumbersome if every time anyone wanted to do anything slightly unique with Nostra that they would have to implement their own everything. I think eventually it's just going to be like, well, no, like there are types. And then depending on what type of relay you want, like, you know, you'd implement type three, but you'd use it for your use case. So we're, we're trying to kind of flip that, you know, uh, backwards, right? Where you have a general purpose decentralized web node, and then you're able to install these protocol definitions on there. And the interesting thing about uh, the way that uh, Daniel Buckner designed a lot of the protocol definition stuff, um, one of the interesting things that, that he thought of in here is that uh, two different DWNs can have different definitions that, uh, that point to the same definition URI. So if I'm like a service provider, I might have some things under my definitions that say like... Uh, you know, maybe I, so maybe I'm a credential issuer, right? And I have some sort of flow in my, and we use the same definition for credential, credential issuance, but we're just playing kind of different roles. Like I'm writing credentials into your DWN. You're requesting credentials from my DWN. Those are two different things. You don't really, as a user, you're not going to be writing credentials into someone else's. You're not an issuer. So you don't need that part of the, of the, of the definition. So I can kind of install the, the issuer definition, let's say, and you install the whatever definition. We're both speaking the same language, but the, the actual kind of rules that our DWNs follow are different. But I think that that's kind of the goal, right? Is you're able to have this document that defines these behaviors that you expect your DWN to kind of exhibit based on, you know, record types and things like that, or who's interacting. Um, and it be standard. So you're able to install it on your, on your node. You're able to install it. Uh, if someone wants to write a different DWN, that's, you know, different than this repo, like a completely different code base, uh, you should be able to run that and install that same protocol definition and be able to kind of, talk to each other and, and the actual application code should be really just minimal at that point. Um, so that's kind of the goal in order, to, it, in order to avoid having to kind of have a different server 
for each kind of kind of interaction that, mm-hmm. that you do or this server that just has a lot of custom modules, right? Like we want to keep that as basic as possible and uh, yeah, just develop a standard, so to speak. Right? Yeah. So I've still got a lot to wrap my head around because I'm still trying to sort, you know, as a non-technical person, right? Like trying to understand the technicality And I will of it. say like our documentation is not user-friendly at the pr- moment, oh, okay. uh, specifically the, the spec documentation. So mm-hmm. we are trying, you know, this is a spec, so we want it to, someone to be able to look at the spec and implement this just yeah. by looking at the spec. It's not there today. So goals, sorry about that. Future goals. But yes. Could you um, talk a little bit about like maybe compare the way identity is generated in Noster versus in Web5? Like yeah. the way they're the same or the way they're different? So as I mentioned, uh, Web5 just kind of accepts any DID method almost. Um, not all of them. I'll mention some more details in a moment. Um, Noster did not decide to use a DID method. It just used what we call bare public keys, right? It's just a public key. So you generate a private public key pair, and that's your identity forever. Um, if you lose that or anything like that, like that's it. You just make a new identity. Is there any way to like integrate the two? So could you use your DID to generate like this single, you know, like throw, essentially throw away identity that, you know, if something happens to it, it's gone, but then maybe is there some way to like, okay, here's my, you know, my public key and my signature on Noster. Like, you know, this is my one ID, but then by the way, that's associated with this DID. So like, you kind of see what I'm saying? So So if you lost that one, then you'd at least maybe be able to like, be like, okay, well this DID created a new single, you know, like whatever disposable identity. There could be a way to do that. Um, I don't know what the best way is like in, in today's world, but I've talked to Fiat Joff a bunch of times about DIDs and potentially including them. And, you know, sometimes he's open to it. Other times <laughs> he's like, ah, not really. Um, I don't know what the best method of like uh-huh. going forward um, and including them just because Noster made very specific decisions. Yeah. You know, Noster's <laughs> using Schnorr signatures, you know, uh, you know, uh, yeah, just uh, the public keys are just like Schnorr specific keys. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's just a little bit different um, than what's there. Uh, the interesting thing about the did method that we're working on on TBD, uh, the did DHT, is we want it to be, or not we want it to, it is backward compatible with just a did key. So the, um, the identifier itself represents a root public key. Um, you can attach other keys to the document but if the document isn't resolvable, like you still have a public key mm-hmm. to kind of go about. So that would have been nice if, if Noster was based on like uh, a specific type of a, uh, uh, encryption curve called ED25519. Um, you would have just been able to kind of use it out of the box. Uh, but yeah, so. So I'm going to Brazil next year. Do you think I can find a way to meet Fiat Jeff in person? I don't know. I don't. Is he living in Brazil? I don't know. I, I actually don't <laughs> I know. know. I, I, I don't know if he's in Brazil. I just know he's Brazilian. I don't know where he's actually living. I don't know if he'll ever like show himself. Like I've joked with him a couple of times. I remember um, I was at, what was it? The Atlanta, the Atlanta Bitcoin conference. And I guess he was like scheduled to speak, but I, through video, <laughs> he didn't end up doing it. But I, remember I was there with someone um, and they were like, oh, is Fiat Joff going to be here and get to meet him? And I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound yeah. right. Like, but, but, the, like, but the difference here? is that like, Marketing I'm, gimmick. I'm not expecting him to come to me. Like I'm willing to go to him is yeah. what I'm saying. Um, 
So, you know, the next time you happen to talk to him, just tell him there's a half Brazilian Bitcoiner who is ready to hunt him down. I mean, he did an interview with Forbes magazine. So if you're going to do an interview with Forbes, you'll do an interview with Saturday right. Night Late. Come on. Yeah. Well, they probably <laughs> paid him. So. No, but I just want to meet him. Not, well, <laughs> probably because like Forbes magazine, my yeah, God. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. He's, he's, he doesn't seem to be motivated by, by yeah. money at all. Right, but you still take it if someone gives it yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I'll make sure to ask him if I, when I meet him in person, when I hunt him down. He's definitely <laughs> someone that I would like to uh, to get to meet in person and hang out with. Uh, just, yeah, I think he's a he's an interesting individual. I mean, it's cool to be able to talk to people like over the internet. That's all great, but I'm all about meeting people in person. That's yeah. like my shtick. All right, I want to, I have one like Noster relay client idea that I want to run by you and I want you to give me like your opinion. So here's what I wrote. I wrote, a Noster client-relay, which turns emails into events, allowing the user to treat an email like an event within the client. And then if all participants in an event slash thread have client relays, they bypass email servers altogether when using an email address. Now, obviously, this that's, you know, with the whole ID thing, this is kind of like the issue. But so I'm, I'm, basically, my idea is integrating an email client with a Noster client. I mean, yeah, I, th I think you can do something like that. I don't think there's anything particularly stopping you from it. Uh, but I think like you mentioned, it's like, it's, uh, this is the problem with, this is my problem with Nostra is like, so how do you build that? Do you, do you all agree to use like a cent like a specific relay for emails? Like, is that, well, so I think with email, I've always thought that email should be a self-hosted client. So that there, there should basically, I mean, a self-hosted relay where you are just like in the old days, like you are saving all your emails and, you know, maybe the, the email host that you use saves them for like 30 days, maybe, but that's it. Like then they get rid of them. So that maybe there is like a service, like a, a public relay that you pay for. I guess it's a private relay, right? But I mean, it's publicly accessible if you pay for it so that that will, you know, so I'm, I'm imagining parallel systems where, okay, the email can come through the regular, you know, uh, way that emails go, or it can like go to this parallel universe, the Noster maybe universe where it's just going through like through relays. Yeah. I mean, you, you could probably do that. You could probably use, you know, the, what is it? NIP five address, right? You can try to, so that it'll be compatible, right? Uh, your email client will first look up NIP five. Uh, if it finds that it'll maybe communicate over, you know, you know, look, you know, look up it's NIP five actually has something that is not used very often where um, the NIP5 address providers can also provide a list of relays that you, um, that you post to that you post to. See, isn't that smart? Cause I've always, I've always said like, to me, the idea of giving someone your end pub, like your public Noster, you know, pro number or whatever ID, it's silly because how do people know what, what, what relay yeah. you're on? So, like, yeah. So, and, and that's why I wish, you know, and, and, and uh, I've talked to Fiat Joff about this a bunch of times <laughs> and I, I don't disagree with him. Like using did ion is cumbersome. So maybe that was just a no go for, for what they were doing. But the idea of, of having a did is you have this static identifier that you resolve and then you get a document of a bunch of information, whether it's what relays to reach them at or, or something like that. So, um, it's, it's a much better kind of paradigm. Um, Nostr has something similar in the NIP5 spec so that no one really uses it. And it's, it's a little bit centralized because you're trusting, you're not able to verify yeah, how about that, this? right? Okay. What about if you're, um, what was it like the DID document? What did you call that? Yeah. Okay. So what if there was a Nostr post type that was a DID document? 
So, I mean, you, there's actually, so one of the guys that, that works uh, at TBD, his name is Mo. Uh, he put together a did no stir uh, idea, which pretty much took kind of similar to what Ion Sightree does with these like, you know, key operations and published them to relays. But you fall into the same kind of thing. You don't know where to fetch the information from. So you're, it's like a, yeah, you know, it's that. like a, yeah, it's, it's the, it's the okay. chicken where, and the egg. Right? Where do I look to find your, 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 your uh, did DID document? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's a chicken and the egg there. And that's the cool thing that I really enjoyed about Ion was, you know, Bitcoin is quote unquote decentralized, but Bitcoin is also a central place for you to go and look for, yeah. you know, the data, right? Any kind of data. We do that for, that's how we figure out our Bitcoin balance. We know of the place, the blockchain is well, the place. So, instead of calling it central, let's say it's like, it's, I mean, I want to say trusted, even though I don't want to say trusted. It's a trusted place, but it's not a, it's not yeah. a central well, place because it's all distributed. Have our own, yeah, we have all, all of our own copies of it, but it is <laughs> one single place that we go to look for it, right? Is it, is it one or? Yeah. <laughs> now we're getting philosophical. But, but yeah, so <laughs> I think that's, that's the big problem kind of with building stuff around um, Noster. And there's different ways to like tackle this, right? It just means that your client has to do a lot more work or you do less work and then the server is just more trusted, right? Mm -hmm. There's just a little bit of that. The other kind of thing that Nostra doesn't just have like built in, which is part of this like uh, protocol rules that we're trying to build is, um, you know, with the email, there's nothing that's saying I can't query like your messages. They might be encrypted. I might not be able to read them but I can query them like Noster relays don't really discriminate. Right. Um, some of them do. There's a NIP 13. I think it is that like identifies you um, to a relay and some relays for your DMS will not send your inbox effectively, even though they're encrypted, they won't send them to anyone that hasn't identified themselves as either like, you know, the recipient or, or yeah. one side of them. You reminded me of an idea I already had for a relay, but now you just kind of made me change the idea a little bit. The idea was a Dropbox. So it's like, let's say I was a political dissident or I was someone who, and I, I needed to, I needed to put some information in a Dropbox, but I didn't know exactly when, or like, you know, I didn't know under what circumstances the person was going to get the message, but I needed it to be there for when they're ready for it. So like originally the idea was just a relay that would just sit there and it would hold the message until it was retrieved. But now I'm, I'm editing it with, okay, well, when I post the message to the relay, I can pay the relay and tell it what public keys can access it. So it's like when one of these public keys finally accesses it, then you can delete it. They got the message and let's move on with our day. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you could definitely do that. What we're trying to do is allow you to do that through a JSON definition effectively to say, you know, we actually have on, on one of our to-do lists, this isn't going to be uh, one of the like soonest f- sooner features, but there is uh, something that Daniel and I have discussed a couple of times about um, the, having like a, almost like a, a message that there can only be one of, right. That gets just purged. Right. So it's like, if you write it, there can just only be one of this type of record. Right. Um, things like that. So, I mean, that could go, go towards that. Uh, also things like expiration dates, like, right. Like purging records after a certain date, like it's just not necessary. Mm -hmm. Uh, these aren't things that are there yet, but stuff that we would like, and we would like for you to be able to just define this in a JSON document and say, I'm installing this on my node. And then your node just follows those rules. Yeah. Cool. Well, any other, yeah. Do you have anything you want? So, so, so let's stop talking about Noster and web five and 
all that other stuff. You know, anything else that you've been interested in lately that you've been thinking about that's on your mind that you have a passion for? Like, what's up? Oh man, that's tough. I'm, I'm really obsessed with, with DIDs and such. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's been my life for, for the past well, like, okay. three years. Well, you know what? So Bitcoin, obviously too. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about many things in Bitcoin. Um, I love that we have different kind of covenant uh, proposals out there and people are fighting over them. I think that's fun. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, so do, do you like all the contentiousness that's around Bitcoin right now? Um, you know, the ordinals, inscriptions, VRC20, uh, the bug, ocean. Yeah. I think I, I honestly, more than the, um, the fights over the covenants, I love the contention over ordinals. I, okay, so I, I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> yes, put it out there. I, I hate NFTs. I think, <laughs> I think they're fucking stupid. I'm sorry for anyone that, that likes them. And like, you know, I have some friends that likes them. My cousin is obsessed with them. I have a cousin that's like, he's got an ape and, and all that shit. Oh, he has an ape. Yeah. 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 He's like, he went, cousin? he went full down, you know, <laughs> that hole. I think they're fucking stupid. Like they're one of the dumbest things. Like, and, and, and I think the reason I think they're so stupid is because I think they're fun and interesting if they weren't worth any money. Like I think it, it could be like fun and funny, but the fact that like apes exist and people spend <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars on these JPEGs, like <laughs> it just blows my mind. So, so I'll start with that. So, so, okay. and especially <laughs> you like, put it out there. like, you know, when Bitcoin Twitter was like really frothing back when like Udi was trying to kick out the maxis and he compared NFTs to stocks and he's like, Oh, there's no, they're no different than the stock market. And I'm just, I don't know. There's just, <laughs> they're not financial instruments. Like I, I just, I had such a hard time with that. So that's, that's one side of my opinion, but, but, and this is the part that I love the controversy that's going on right now. The true Bitcoin part. Yeah. I don't give a fuck if people <laughs> are writing into it. Like, I don't care if they, to me, this whole like quote unquote bug thing, like, yeah, I understand it. Bitcoin is supposed to be for financial transactions. Blah, blah, blah. You guys sound like a bunch of fucking censors. <laughs> Like, like you sound like the reason that Bitcoin exists, exists. Is, is because of you assholes that are trying to tell people what they should and shouldn't do. And it's like, if you're paying the fee, like that is the point of the fee. That yeah. is the point of the block space. Like the, the reason we have, you know, a limited block space is so that it, you were going to have to have this fee market. And we're going to fight over what gets in there. And guess what? 20 years from now, it's not going to be in inscriptions. People aren't, or if they want to look, if you want to pay like, you know, you know, 10, 20, $30,000 to get your, your picture into the blockchain by all means do it. I just don't, I think like the whole like up in arms and like, you know, ordinal disrespecter and, and we have to like, it's just so funny to me because it is literally what is going to happen when, if, you know, if Bitcoin, when Bitcoin becomes the, the financial backing of the world, like what is going to, like, what do you think governments are going to try to do if they there's transactions happening that they don't want to happen they're going to be doing the same shit the 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 the, the what is it going to be called the uh, the sanctions di disrespect for disrespect. <laughs> I don't know. they're going to have their versions that are going to be trying we're going to have the, the nuts disrespector <laughs> yeah like i so so but i think the disrespector things are also good for bitcoin because yeah. it just it, it all just shows the resiliency of it right like, like we don't need to do anything about the disrespectors yeah. other than ignore them yeah, because yeah. there's, there's no way like it, it will show you that it's really, really difficult to censor Bitcoin. And, and, you know, we can talk about different types of censorship. Like, look, Luke does not want inscriptions going through his miners. That's fine. That's, that's fine. Like, 
you know, we, we can, we can put it all the way out there. Like, do we, do you want illegal stuff, quote unquote, happening in the blockchain? No, nobody wants like, you know, you don't want criminal activity. Like if you know that that's criminal, nobody wants that, but it is the nature of the chain. You can't stop it. You can try and, and and people will try and governments will try (laughs) and that's great. It's coming. And, and yeah, and I think like what we're seeing right now is just so like, it's nothing compared to a real attack. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is the funny thing. It's like, I, I was, I don't remember who I was talking to, but I said like, this is not even a real attack. Like it, these snowflakes are going batshit crazy over the permissionlessness of Bitcoin transactions. Wait until someone really tries to come after yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. That's this like is, a government, right? Like wait until they publicly like right now, maybe they're sneakily doing their little games and doing this and that, but you know, anything could happen. Speaking of anything could happen, you're Argentinian, right? No. No? Like, no. what's your... Don't you have any kind of Latin... No, my, my dad's girlfriend's from Argentina, so oh, so spent some time there. That's, okay, so this is what my confusion was. So you, you have peoples then somehow kind of in a way in Argentina. The only reason I'm bringing this up is because I wanted to ask you about Millet and if you had any opinions about Millet. So, I mean, I... I, I, I you know, I'm not, it's not really my place to opine too much. <laughs> I, I like him cause he's a libertarian and he's into, you know, I, and just for the fact that he wants to do something completely different that that country has done for a long time. And I think, Hey, they're looking for change. <laughs> I mean, it's the same. We are here too. Like we, we elected certain people probably just cause we're looking for a certain change. Um, I, so I don't know if he's going to be good or bad for them. I know a lot of the things that he's saying seem like necessary things. He's even, saying things like, Oh, it's going to be painful for a period of time. Like, you know, so I, I, I think that he, he seems to get it, whether it's going to work, whether I have no idea. I know that some of the people that I know, um, in Argentina are just, I think they're just excited for something different. I think that most of the people that I know probably aren't educated enough to, um, to know like, you know, how, how is this going to like to really opine about it? Like, how is this going to affect our economy and stuff like that? Um, but they're just looking for something different for different rhetoric, right? Yeah. Brazil was a lot like that not too long ago. I mean, I hope it works out better for Argentina than it did for Brazil. I mean, I think one of the things I said on the show was more of like this question of, is he going to be effective? Right? Because he might have all these goals, but he has to work within the context of the rest of the government. And so if he's got all these like statist leftist, institutionalist, deep statists all around him, they're going to resist and fight against all these big changes. Are you going to BTC plus plus? I, I want to, I'm not a hundred percent yet. Well, what's the, what's the deciding factor? I just got to figure out kind of schedule work, a bunch, <laughs> bunch of stuff with that. But yeah, I, I really want to, I'm a big fan of BTC plus plus and everything Nifty has been doing there. Um, I attended the very first one in Austin. I attended the one in Mexico. I attended the second one in Austin. Did not get to attend Berlin, which I heard was great. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. I would like to, I definitely would like to attend uh, as many of them as possible. I think the group that goes to, to BDC plus plus is definitely uh, a special group of, of, of people. I feel like, uh, yeah. I, would you say that it's the most technical of the meetups? I, f- I mean, of the, the conferences, yeah. like I think TabCon is kind of TabConf is up there too, but maybe this is like the next level perhaps. Or? Yeah, I think, I think it is more, t- it is probably the most technical. Um, and yeah, I just think it's the, the group that goes there are just, yeah, they're, they're there for the interesting technical talks for the interesting things. Uh, it's not judgmental. Um, there's zero talk about price or anything like that. Even. I love that. <laughs> um, it's really just technical and, and ideas and, um, yeah, just really, really, really great, 
conference. I've, I've definitely enjoyed it. Um, made, you know, made a lot of friends and uh, learned a lot also. Well, so cool. Thank you so much uh, for coming on Saturday Night Lit. I'm glad we could finally get you on the show. Um, it's been fun. Yeah, right. It's, it's a nice time. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to, to document some of what I think is history in the making, you know? And I was, it's kind of funny. I was saying to our special guest at dinner tonight, who I will not name, um, that, you know, I think it's important to have other voices out there because he was, he was saying, or they, <laughs> they were saying how many, you know, there's so many podcasts and I'm like, yes, you know, but that's a good thing. It's a good thing. There's so many podcasts because if there was only a few, then it would just kind of be these really big name, high production voices. And it would kind of give people, I think a false view of what the entire Bitcoin space is. And so like, I think having these smaller efforts, these more kind of grassroots, like we're doing it for love and not at all for money or influence or for clout, you know, those things can come one day, you know, we'll, we'll welcome you, but, <laughs> but it's just really for love and for passion. And I was saying, you know, I, I can imagine one day, 50 years, a hundred years from now, I mean, people are going to look back and if they're doing, if they're trying to write a history of Bitcoin, well, we get to be a little, a little part of that, of that history, you know, Saturday night lit gets to exist because we're making it it's real so yeah, thanks absolutely. for being a part of our of our history so uh saturday december 16th i'm captain brunch and this is chip signing out see you next time